The thoughts, opinions, and general overall shade thrown on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. It is Monday, November 6th, and today is Job Action Day. Hopefully, people with jobs are getting some action. It's also International Day for Preventing the ex Exploitation of the Environment in War and Armed Conflict. That's a pretty long one. Color the World Orange Day. You know what that means, you guys. It's also National Nachos Day and National Saxophone Day. And thank you for joining us and getting high at 9 with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use the fancy little QR code up there on your screen to find out where we live on the Internet. And we are live every Monday through Friday on YouTube. And now we are also streaming to Rumble, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook, and welcome to everyone joining us from any one of those audiences. But kicking it off first, we have the dope dad himself. That's right, it's Rico Lamite. He is back in La La Land from his escapade in the Midwest. That's right, talking to lawyers and talking talking to people. That's right, it is the dope dad himself, Mr. <laughs> Rico Lamite. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Jason. Definitely uh, good to be back from the cold shy. Man, and I got some cold out there. It actually wasn't that it actually wasn't that bad. You know, um, you know, it is what it is define, out there. And define, it was only to find what's not that bad for Chicago. I mean, it's in mid 40s. Mids. So hella mids, mids, very mids. Speaking <laughs> of man, Chicago needs to get their shit together when it comes to the flowers. Trash. I Anyways. agree. The pickings yeah, so are bad. slim out there. It is There's one good so... brand out there. I see collective. I see collective from Oakland. Yes. I yeah. Shout out to Ben. It just I went live. Collective. Yes. Yes. Their shit is fine. Okay. Yes. Yep. Okay. I'll give him a shout out next time. I, I got a little in a haystack out there. I could do it. But um, let's talk about New York and New Jersey. And I don't know about y'all, but when I think of a New York and New Jersey, I'm thinking big, dense cities. Lots of buildings, concrete, and lots of people, which means infrastructure. And of course, unions. Unions theoretically serve as a check 
to ex uh, executive greed, uh, because we all know American style capitalism works best when people at the bottom are doing all the work and are treated and paid the worst. So to properly maintain these big complex cities without the workforces getting totally screwed over, unions are necessary. Uh, it makes total sense that we're seeing a massive rise in union activity in the cannabis industry and even more sense that we see them on at the forefront of New York and New Jersey cannabis. Speaking of which, the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, UFCW, uh, in New York and New Jersey last week launched what they say is the first in the nation apprenticeship program for... Oh, oh, sorry about that, y'all. Sorry about I'm, I'm usually on point. I'm usually on point with that. I apologize. But uh, UFC is partnered with uh, a, a Queens-based cannabis place to establish... Uh, an official certification program for aspiring cannabis professionals. Hugh Giordano of UFCW Local 360 told The Post that no one has done this before. He said, we have a visionary employer harnessing the unmatched cannabis industry expertise to train ambitious local, but often overlooked talent. It's a scalable and repeatable model that delivers great value for employees, owners, and customers. Um, cannabis uh, Place founder, Osbert, Orduna is an ex-Marine and a disabled vet who operates a, a licensed dispensary in Jersey City and a delivery service in Queens. Orduna says he's linked with that UFCW to build a two-week apprenticeship program for bud tenders as part of the community benefits program he submitted while obtaining their, uh, their licenses. He said he also offers a $1,000 stipend for participants in the program and his firm's hiring those who graduate and earn a certificate. Not too shabby. Uh, per the article, students are taught about the history of cannabis, cultivation processes, seed-to-sale programs, THC, cultivars, and terpenes, but also customer service, conflict resolution, basic business acumen, and essential state cannabis regulatory measures. 80 hours of classroom uh, instructions packed into the two-week program, followed by a 2,000-hour uh, on-the-job apprenticeship um, before applicants officially can call themselves certified. Arduna is uh, currently the only operator with active licenses in both New York and New Jersey. And he says that he was eager to work with the union and as a Colombian, uh, pleased that most of the first 22 graduates were people of color. Uh, both New York and New Jersey have had plenty of issues rolling out licenses for both states' industries, with countless examples of overpromising and underdelivering from bureaucrats running the show. Massive delays have led uh, led to angry legal entrepreneurs sitting on mountain mounting bills and stale product. Uh, New York State currently lists 26 licensed retail dispensaries and delivery services with 11 in New York City. New Jersey's got 38 dispensaries open, with 13 being exclusively medical. With both states anticipating a tidal wave of license activations over the next six to eight months, the UFCW's early jump on the scalable workforce training model with uniform SOPs could serve as a blessing for new operators looking to hire folks ready to hit the ground running with them. I can think of plenty hypothetical arguments against hiring union labor as a legal plant-touching business owner, but I've never legally owned a plant-touching business. I'm just Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street for Hyatt 9 News. So I want to know what Jason Beck and the rest of y'all who have think. Is UFCW the train workforces? Are they the wave of the future or just another weak stream? Let's hear it. Yeah, I'm not buying none of this BS. They're probably going to train these workers to have terrible habits and just want to mess up employee workflow. Um, okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to take a little bit uh, more positive 
uh, approach here. Oh, somehow I'm like off the camera. I don't know what's going on here. But um, uh, first I wanted to say that I've been a huge advocate. Uh, shit, I'm even started to understand what weed was myself for a requirement, some kind of certification program that bud tenders go through because they are the weed pharmacists. They are. And these are minimum wage individuals who get scheduled, you know, 15 to 30 hours a week. They come in, you know, right after going to college or taking care of their kid or whatever the fuck they just did. They're coming in with their real life shit on their back. They don't have any real training in, in diagnoses or even understanding some of the more common medical aspects that um, diagnoses that people have. And so it's it's absolutely critical that these individuals um, are successful in their job. And the way that we do that is we make sure that they fully understand the efficacy of this plant and we make sure that they understand how important their role really is because it, it they are the voice of how the plant works to the new customer. All of us, all of us, you know, executives level individuals who are creating businesses and building businesses and sitting behind desks and making the tough decisions we're forgetting that at the end of the day that customer who's brand new who heard from a friend of a friend that this particular medicine might help them but they have no idea and then they go in and talk to a 21 year old college student with no training that just it's just all wrong so Having a training for butt tenders is absolutely essential and should be required. Um, and then also, they should be paid during this training. I, I think I heard a 2,000 yeah. hour requirement. Okay, so no, train this During the two week, um, yeah, during the two week course, there is a thousand dollar stipend. They get paid that thousand dollars for taking the course and then it's on the job training. So they're actually getting paid while they have uh, those 2,000. Yeah, they're getting those 2,000 hours in of apprenticeship after that that they have to complete until they're quote-unquote certified. How, mu how, how, many, hours is, how many hours okay, is this So course? I went to graduate school to be a therapist for mental health while I was a social worker. So working as a social worker, going to grad school. Yeah. When I finished grad school, I and that was a three-year program, get out of grad school, and now... I have to do 3,000 hours of supervised client contact therapy, 3,000. And guess how much the stipend was to pay me for that? Zero. I had to pay the therapist who had the license to oversee me for the privilege of working with him. Okay. That's what, that's that's what my wife gets paid. Right there. That's what I'm talking about. That's what, that's what my wife. That's what my wife gets paid. She gets so uh, I, like uh, eight is, supervision. This, is, this is the right thing to do when you're paying someone to learn a when you're teaching someone a new skill for a job. It should be paid. Also, we wouldn't have this problem if teaching what cannabis really does in science class, like all the other plants, when the kids are in junior high and high school. That's all. I'm gonna be quiet. You guys turn. What do you think? What do you think, Saint Germain? You've run a shop before, man. I think we really need a lot more uh, training for bud tenders. Uh, I go in all the time, and I, you know, act like the idiot that I am, and and talk to them. And, and what I find is uh, most of the time, bud tenders just recommend whatever they can afford to smoke, and or whatever the brands have been giving them to smoke, because they don't really 
uh, have have uh, access to most of the products they sell. And I think the number one thing that a store could do is have days where they just you know buy one of each product, sit their bud tenders down, and actually let them explore and experience each product, so they can speak from a, a bit more of a uh, you know of a wealth of experience instead of just you know blindly you know. But it, winning it, to things it, it isn't isn't that part of part of like uh, 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 brand ambassadors' jobs at the same time, Matthew, to come in and educate your staff on, on their products and give PADs. you guys samples and all of that with PADs and different things like that. That that, that that's mostly what that's it's currently. Absolutely. It's currently incredibly imperative imper- imperative for that to happen. But I mean, if you were to look at like even go to a bottle barn, bro, you can go to a bottle barn and you can get more help from somebody at a bottle barn. And and yep. I've never once seen. I'm sure they do it, but I've never once seen like a PAD day or a buy one get one free for Ito's handmade vodka or they have or or Patron, right? And have, and so so go ahead. I was just gonna say they have AA say, yeah. meetings at Bottle Barn now. <laughs> I'm not an AA. Never had an addiction. Okay. But, um, back to what I was saying. The, the number one thing I do, and I would I would really tell people, you know, to ask for if you go into one of these establishments and you're really looking to. Find out. I ask, like, who is the most degenerate weed smoker that works there? Usually, yeah. that's the one guy who's actually going to be able to tell you because nobody can even tell you. Like, is this one harsh? Is this one harsh? How does this one smoke? What's the highlight of this one? And most of the time, these kids just want to recommend, you know, stuff that's dipped in distillate and rolled in THCA because they're making minimum wage and they're just trying to get the most bang for their buck. Well, and the, I am really looking for flavor. Well, at the same time, too, Matthew Saint Germain. Most of the customer base is, is mostly concerned with whatever percentage of THC it is at the same time, too. So that's why a lot of the time you find them recommending these distillate, keef-enhanced yep. pre-rolls. All of this all of this just goes back to 215 and when the stores began taking over and all of these cats who had little balls and their dad or their uncle's credit card to open a shop could do so. And because they had no clue what they were doing and they really had no clue to the experiential side of cannabis and they just wanted to make money, it all became about THC percentage because that was a way that people who don't know anything could at least have a number to to pitch to their customer. But again, has anybody here ever gone to a wine or other alcohol tasting event and you go to some really nice winery and they have hors d'oeuvres and they have a live band, you know, playing chamber music and they bring out their old vine Zinfandel and they start telling you what percentage of alcohol it is? No. They'll tell you the flavor notes. They'll tell you the age of the vine. They'll tell you where it grew, the type of soil. They'll give you all of these different experiential clues or signposts so that you can really understand what you're experiencing. And they're never once like, oh, this Zinfandel's 14%, but try this Zinfandel, it's 15.2%. The only people who really shop for alcohol that way are what we used to call winos or hobos, you know, people who are trying to just get totally inebriated, inebriated and, and, and blotto. And, and we need to continue to reframe the metric. I think this is a years long process because it was a years long process up to pre 215. And then in 215, in, in gaining a lot of customers, which we needed to do, the entire industry knowledge base took a huge step back. And now with Prop 64 and the further legalization, we gain more customers. The entire knowledge base takes another multi-year step back. And so I think it's just really important for folks who love cannabis and have some stake in this game to continue to just put the message out, share the message that this is an experiential product. It's it's about the experience. It's not just about getting, you know, retarded high and, and forgetting about your life. I like to say, you know, a lot of people like to say get effed up, right? Like, I got so effed up. I got so effed up. I like to say I got high. 
because I'm trying to activate my mind. I'm trying to activate my body. I'm trying to improve myself so I can be more of a help on this planet to my fellow human beings. You're so active. And and, and on that, we're going to go to a commercial and we're going to be right back. The Control Tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The Control Tower from Highly Educated. Yeah, me too. Yes, I'd Hashtag like one, please. I'm an influencer minus the bikini, okay? People follow what I do. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> After organizing last week's epic, epic Halloween block party in West Hollywood, he can now add King of the Emerald Village to a long list of credentials that nobody knows are really real or not. Breaking us off with a little <laughs> Monday morning spice. Oh, <laughs> Y'all, hey. Jason Beck, what you got for us? You got some heat today. Oh, man, I can't wait for you to hear this story. But, you know, all of my titles can 100% be verified. Happy to share all my (laughs) credentials. Every single one. Every single one, exactly. I mean, even if you... Your NorCal card's been pulled. Yeah, right. That could (laughs) never happen. Nor, Nor, NorCal would be considered SoCal if that was the case. Gotta check in with us, yeah. remember? Mm-hmm. We said anything north of Bakersfield. Anything north? <laughs> I mean, I, I think I'd even say anything north of Castaic. But nonetheless. Oh, man, Rico, sure. Rico, Rico. Pineapple Ventures is accused of hijacking L.A. social equity cannabis license, you guys. A dispute over control of California cannabis dispensary social equity license has led to a lawsuit. Get out of here. Pineapple Express Incorporated and its owner, Joshua Eisenberg, accused former executive Vincent, Me- I'm going to murder this last name, Mendezia, of orchestrating a covert operation to seize the license designed to promote fair industry participation. Eisenberg contends that Mazalia, who who goes by Vincent Zada, uh, defied a 2017 U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission settlement that prohibited him from serving as an officer of a public company by indirectly managing Pineapple Ventures Incorporated, which which approached Eisenberg's dispensary for a merger in 2018. According to the amended complaint filed on Friday after the merger, Eisenberg, who holds a majority stake in Pineapple Express, alleged that Zadia exploited Eisenberg's eligibility for a social equity license in Los Angeles and made moves to seize control over it for Pineapple Ventures, which wasn't qualified for the license itself. The suit claims that Zadia forced Eisenberg into a management agreement under duress, violating Los Angeles Cannabis Social Equity Program rules, and accuses Pineapple Ventures of enacting a predatory lease to extract undue profits. It also alleges the doubling lease payments by involving another entity, Pineapple Consolidated, which was purportedly overseen by the same operators. Eisenberg asserted Pineapple Ventures withheld financial information, failed to pay almost $400,000 in rent and taxes to the city, 
and illegally raised funds through unauthorized share sales. He also alleged physical assault by security personnel when attempting to reclaim control of the dispensary. And according to the filings, Eisenberg arranged to change how the dispensary was managed and wanted to keep using Code 4 as his security team during his change. He had a deal and a clear understanding with John Garcia, the manager of Code 4, that this was going to happen on September 1st. However, when Eisenberg and his colleagues, a Pineapple Express board member, Jenny Dills, showed up at the dispensary on the day to start the transition, a security guard told them to leave. Eisenberg was told that Code 4 was sticking with their contract with Pineapple Ventures because Zadia and Ortega had threatened to sue the security company. The complaint noted soon thereafter a large team of Code 4 security personnel along with Zadia and uh, Jaime Ortega broke down the office door where Eisenberg and Dills had been violently and physically wait a second hold on Dills had been had been and violently and physically grabbed Eisenberg causing him to suffer extreme pain and began removing him from the office Dills was shocked and frightened at what she saw at, w at what she had witnessed and followed the men outside Eisenberg was carried outside and slammed to the ground by Code 4 security personnel at the instructions of Zadia and Jaime Ortega. Daniel J. Urist of Urist Law Corp. APC, who is representing the plaintiffs, told Law 360, the alleged predatory practices of Pineapple Ventures Incorporated and Pineapple Consolidated Incorporated and its advisor, Mr. Pijman Vincent Mahizia, pose not only a grave financial threat, to our current, but also uh, stifle the essence of social equity that the cannabis industry aspires to uphold in Los Angeles and throughout California. Zadia rebutted the allegations, countering that Eisenberg is the actual violator of the social equity program and has not contributed financially to the dispensary. Eisenberg never spent a dollar on the dispensary in question and also was the only person generating any income from it operating, Zadia said to Law360. He also says he is likely the greediest and least self-aware person I have ever came across, he says. The conflict heads to court as both parties seek to resolve issues of contractual breaches of ethical conduct. And at the same time, Zadia and Pineapple Ventures CFO Jaime Ortega filed an unlawful detainer action against Eisenberg and Pineapple Express, uh, despite acknowledging in their own complaint that Eisenberg was removed from the store and does not have physical possession. In quotes, the logic is mind boggling, said Zadia and Ortega must be misleading their team, their, their, their team in order to pursue this minimally unethically and likely malicious course of action. A source close to the situation told Green Market Report and Eisenberg and his attorney argued in a motion that the court should dismiss the eviction claim and cancel the summons due to procedural errors citing early service of the five-day summons along with a premature filed complaint. The new lawsuit filed against Zadia follows a separate claim which Green Market Report covered in April alleging that Zadia lured an investor to put up to $290,000 in Pineapple Ventures with promises of $5,000 in monthly dividends, promises that reportedly were not kept. And that case was dismissed with prejudice back in August. 
Well, 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 well. I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this. I know too many players in this game, but well, I want to hear what you guys first. have to say. Holy moly. No, get out of my way, Yarrow. <laughs> 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 okay. Y'all went into your whole caseworker and CV and your whole educational thing. I didn't even get one word in. Let, 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 let me just jump in on this. Go okay, for so, it, Yarrow. Go for it. So first of all, again, breathing over here. Hold on. I have something to say. I have to highlight the, the, the fact that, again, like many things in cannabis, there includes a real estate aspect of this. I know Josh. I talked to Josh before this hit the, the headlines. I had a brief little email with his attorney. So I'm biased because I know one party and not the other. But I will say this about that with the wiffle ball bat, which is if you have been banned from being from being in a, in a leadership position through securities issues in the past, that tends to mean you're not a really great person with high ethical uh, uh, moral compass, right? And then secondarily, if you try to evict somebody from a property where they no longer have a possessory right, that is the world's dumbest shit in the world. You can't evict somebody who's no longer in a property. So those two things alone make me really sort of lean towards Josh's perspective on this the other thing that's really dis, just distasteful to me is when that guy said well he didn't put a dime into this which completely undermines the intellectual capital the sweat equity the other ways in which business partners can bring value to a venture dollars and cents is but one metric and to suggest that those other metrics don't exist or aren't valuable is pretty disparaging in my mind <laughs> All right, what do you have, Mandy? Okay. I have several questions. Number one, if, first of all, isn't Sean Creese CEO? Uh, That's the same Pineapple Express in Hollywood? Yes. To my, understand, to my understanding, I would say yes. Yeah. I'm yes, surprised he didn't um, comment here that, that he wasn't mentioned at all in here because yeah, he wasn't, it he seems to me like that. he would be the one that could make this make sense um and then under the impression that there were several celebrities that also owned this particular store is that accurate rico do you know by chance i thought and i am not like but i thought that maybe and don't quote me on this okay because i could be very wrong but i thought like exhibit or somebody like that was a part of this dispensary I don't know about That's any of that. True? I don't know about any of that. No, 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 no. He, um, yeah, he, he, he did some projects. He did some projects, some marketing projects with him. He has and he has a uh, flower on the shelves. So um, he got napalm oh, I on the shelves. Hear you, I don't know what happened. I said with these lawsuits, the only exhibit is Exhibit A and Exhibit B. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that part. That part. Oh man, what do you I think? Know, this about is this just really that? unfortunate all the way around. Um, it's never good to see physical aggression take place in a dispensary. It's supposed to be a peaceful environment. Um, also, really not the best to go and try and take over a store on your own, especially if it's a hostile environment. I've done um, that. It's I've done definitely... that before. I've gone. I know. Yes. It tell, tell. I mean, when you did it, like, aren't there things that you wish you could go back and have done differently? Yeah, a hundred percent. A hundred. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, yeah. Mandy, and it made me much more yeah. smarter 
and be better prepared for the next time that I have to go in and do something like that. It made you stronger, Jason. Yes, right? exactly. Whatever doesn't kill you only makes you stronger, and people need to toughen up in this world. Yeah, this is just really unfortunate. This is like I agree. It's a really bad look on the I industry. Agree. And, 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 and I'm surprised. Prepared. I'm surprised that Sean is not mentioned in any of these lawsuits. I'm really surprised about that. I'm I'm really surprised because, like I, I said, I think he would be the one that could make this all make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, would be so. you know a credible source um, to answer to all of this. But it, um, but it, it said it went down what in in, in twenty eighteen. Well, that, that was no, no, no. That that was a separate lawsuit that it referenced at the end. That was a separate lawsuit okay. that it said that they dismissed with prejudice. Okay, and then and then also, I mean, depending on how they're structured, Sean could be more of the face guy. He doesn't really have much to do with the business, too. So I don't know. I mean, how 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 it sounds to me, it sounds it, it sounds like they're in like three different companies, um, where where they have like a private venture side. Uh, a, a real estate side, and yeah. then and then and then the actual yeah. operating dispensary side. That's how it sounded like to me from this story. Uh, you know what? That might be that might be what it is, and maybe there's a different in, uh, dynamics there. Mm -hmm. it, the whole thing is just really unfortunate. You don't ever want to hear um, you know big issues like this, especially with individuals who have received social equity licenses. This is just it's really unfortunate. That's how you know nobody making money, man. Everybody's stealing from each other, right? That's right. That's right. Yep. 100%. And on that, we're going to go roll right on in to Miss Mandy Tingler. She's a mom. She is also a cannabis ex executive as well as a Emerald Cup Edibles judge who is going to show you how motherhood, an executive lifestyle, and getting high AF off of gummies all goes hand in hand. That's right, it is none other than Miss Mandy Tingler. Hello, hello, friends. Hello, good morning. Happy Monday. It was a very, very good weekend for me. I hope everybody is ready to kickstart their week. Uh, today, my story comes to you from the North, Cent North Central Pennsylvania News. The headline reads, gun discovered during search for marijuana. As state police stopped a man in Lamar who had a planned marijuana inside his vehicle, according to a complaint. Daniel Luis Diaz, 26, of Mount Carmel, denied requests to search his car on October 23rd in Lamar Township. Trooper Hunter Hall said, <clears throat> drug dog was called to the eastbound lane of I-80 just past Interchange 178. He has allegedly merged onto the highway, driving much slower than the posted speed limit. As a line of traffic grew, Diaz continued to drive slowly, causing Hall to, acti <clears throat> to activate his emergency lights, according to his report. He has immediately ex exited his vehicle as Hall approached, according to this affidavit. Paul ordered him to stand by the passenger's side of the cruiser. Paul claimed he could smell burnt marijuana, according to the affidavit. He has denied requests to search the vehicle before a canine unit was called, Paul wrote. After a positive response for narcotics from the dog, Diaz was taken into custody before a search warrant. For, before a search warrant. He pulled away from his attempt to handcuff him. He had a medical marijuana card. He handed over a joint at one point, according to the report. 
he had a Kimber Micro semi-automatic handgun. <clears throat> it was found in the center console, which was well within the reach of Diaz during the traffic stop Paul added. Diaz was charged with third-degree felony firearms, not to be carried without a license, resisting arrest, disorderly conduct, marijuana possession, driving too slow for conditions, and use below minimum speed. He was released on, wait for it, wait for it, $15,000 unsecured bail. So you guys, why did I bring this up? Marijuana is just a tiny little piece so many different elements that we've talked about over the course of the last what year plus right jason about the reasons why you can and you can't get over and also not to be breaking more than one law at a time and also man this guy just really piled it on for himself folks about these charges Let's talk about them. Pennsylvania, ugh, my God, what do you think? This is Carmen Sacramento coming at you for high enough. It's the number one risk factor of driving high is driving under the speed limit, you guys. You know what? I had unprotected sex with a gun. I don't know where that came from, but oh. I have a hard time coming after that kind of funny. I want to I want to riff Rambo and rant for a second on this. First of all, I don't know that law enforcement has substantial training in the odor of burn versus unburned cannabis. And it doesn't take away from the fact that this guy could have been at a medical dispensary, had a friend hop in his car. The friend smoked a joint, got out of his car and he got on the freeway. So I, do, I don't think, again, we get back to this notion of whether the, the smell of cannabis is probable cause. Oh, but the smell of burnt cannabis is versus isn't. That seems very suspect to me. And the fact that they called a canine dog because of the smell of cannabis would, to me, at first glance, appear that, that law enforcement was escalating. The fact that he was handing a joint, I could see somebody going, dude, chill out, bro. It's medical. See, I got a joint. You know, I don't believe the cops that he resisted arrest with the handcuff. And let's talk about that 380 Kimber. A Kimber is one of the most expensive handguns you could get. It's not exactly a throwaway. It's not the kind of thing someone's going to do a drive-by with and throw away. They're about double the cost of a normal handgun. So did he have it in a compartment where he wasn't allowed to? Because typically in laws, you're allowed to have a handgun if it's unloaded and locked up in a vehicle. It doesn't say that it was an unregistered gun. So if he made a mistake of driving too slow and he made a mistake of having a handgun in a container in the car that wasn't locked, charge him for that and move on. The rest of it, at first blush, I would say it's overcharging. I wouldn't say it's a big example of fuck around and find out. I'd say it's an example of massive over enforcement. And, and, and candidly, you know, I'm not entirely sure that I would take a press release at face value. I believe in innocent until proven guilty. And it's really sad to see that the probable cause for a canine unit was the smell of cannabis in a state that has medical cannabis laws. Well, I think this article for me just showed how far behind Pennsylvania really is. In California, odor, cannabis odor is no longer allowed to be a reason for someone to search your car or be pulled over. You can't be pulled over just on odor anymore. And they're, you know, driving too slow. I mean, yes, agree. That is definitely I commonly see people do. I've been guilty of it myself. So, um, it's definitely, you know, worthy of being pulled over for the gun. I mean, at the end of the day, he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. 
breaking more than one law at a time. <laughs> There's a whole lot of driving Miss Daisy going on in this story. I'll tell you that much. That's for sure. I see what you did there. Mm-hmm. I see what you did there. You see what I did there. And on that, we're going to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. I'm Jason Beck, and this is Smoky Vanilla. And if you want to feel as good as I look, then you need to get yourself a stretch and smoke with Smoky Vanilla. That's right, baby. I'm Smoky Vanilla with my background in kinesiology. I'm a sports massage therapist and stretch coach. I focus mostly on athletes who have chronic pain or injury due to their sport or the legends of the chronic in the game, baby. Oh, yeah. You know what it is. We just stretched, and now we're going to smoke because you know what it is. That's right. I love intuitively creating a session based on the individual I'm working with. We'll go through a few assessments, look at the past health history, injury, or anything that's still affecting you today, and create a customized session just for you. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Stop whatever you're doing. Make sure you hit that like button. That's like YouTube's favorite thing for people to do, and we'll appreciate it, and you will appreciate it. Also, make sure you subscribe to the channel if you have not subscribed already, and whatever you do, make sure that you know that you can read all the stories that we cover on today's show on our website at www.hyatt9news.com. Oh, we're rolling? We're rolling right... Oh, shit! Sorry, guys. We are rolling. Everybody? Yeah. I guess we're rolling right into the next story, Rico. You're you rolling, man. I'm sober right now. I'm oh, sorry. Man, I'm right. sorry. Anyways, <laughs> up next, he's a, he is an immortal cannabis wizard with a Stanford PhD and one in uh, two ta- uh, Stanford PhDs, one in tripping balls, and the other one is uh, navigating the astral plane. He's the co-host of the podcast, What's Good, and here to bless us with a little okay. love on Monday morning, Matthew St. Germain. I guess it's me. Sorry, y'all. I couldn't hear. I couldn't hear my brother Rico there. I've got a crazy one. In rural Connecticut, a major drug bust took place after authorities received a tip, damn narcs, about possible drug dealing. They discovered dozens of bags of psychedelic mushrooms estimated to be worth eight point five million. If anybody's been uh, has their tabs on the uh, commercial mushroom market, that's a lot of mushrooms. Oh, the price has been dropping three percent. At a home in Burlington, about 20 miles west of Hartford, a 21-year-old man was arrested and charged with operating a drug factory in possession with intent to sell and distribute narcotics. The incident occurred amidst evolving drug laws in the United States, where some states and cities have decriminalized psychedelic mushrooms, and others still want to give you 20-plus years in, in state prison. Law enforcement received a tip about a psilocybin mushroom-growing operation at the Burlington residence. Authorities arrived. They noticed ventilation equipment that raised suspicions. The man who was arrested initially claimed the mushrooms were not illegal and refused a search of his home. However, a search warrant was obtained, leading to the discovery of psilocybin-containing mushrooms in various growth stages. After entering the home with a warrant, the man admitted the mushrooms were indeed psilocybin, a Schedule One controlled substance. He posted $250,000 bail and is scheduled to appear in court on November 16th. The legal landscape regarding psychedelic drug varies across the countries, with some states again moving towards or at decriminalization, with the state of Oregon at full legalization, and the FDA designating psilocybin as a breakthrough therapy for treatment-resistant depression and growing support for therapeutic use of psychedelics. Now, one of the things this highlights is 
The DEA scheduling program, the fact that DEA was invented, the scheduling program was invented to destroy the Black Panthers, the Students for a Democratic Society, the Weather Underground, the anti-war movement, and the free speech movement. Schedule 1 means a substance is dangerous, toxic, has a high potential for abuse, and has a high potential for addiction. What we've seen in the Johns Hopkins and other studies with psilocybin is mushrooms are non-toxic. There is no concurrent LD50 for psilocybin or psilocin. means you can't be killed by it. They uh, are, are breakthrough therapy. They help with PTSD. They help with depression. They help with personality disorders. They help with bipolar. But really, this thing should be taken off schedule uh, one yesterday. Um, I'd really like uh, to hear what you guys have to say about this, both the bust, the difference in, uh, in psychedelic laws from east to west coast, and anything else you all want to add. Man, uh, how much did they say this was actually worth, Matthew? They said $8.5 million. Bro, do they not they know didn't the, pound, give the a, price of pounds of mushrooms right now is like less than weed? Anytime <laughs> they give you a dollar figure without giving you a volume amount, it's not a fact and it's not something that yes. we can actually evaluate. And so it's typically right. meant to allow law enforcement to look like they're doing a good job by tagging their efficacy to the dollar value of the drugs they take off the street. It's a tried and true method for justifying enforcement dollars. Agreed. I agree 100%. Mm -hmm. I, just find, I just find it so interesting that uh, in so many of the places in the East Coast, you're still looking at 5 to 15 or more for mushrooms, where if you're on the West Coast, uh, they're recognizing them as a therapy. In fact, Oregon is uh, opening a process for training and certifying uh, mushroom therapists so that we can have mushroom clinics in Oregon to help people. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> interesting, interesting, interesting. I just don't see how they get, get, to, get to that kind of evaluation. I mean, you'd have to have... You'd have to have hecka acres, or excuse me, head of acres, head of acres. How do you say that? Head of acres. Oh, that's and yeah. it's the way you measure land in Europe. But good try. Yeah. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. You'd have to have you'd have to have plots like that in order to be having yeah, millions so, of dollars of mushrooms. So at, at the current pound price, he he had around twenty eight thousand pounds of mushrooms there. It, you know, the, the challenge, I think, is twofold. Like, do we think that people should have a quarter million dollar bail over mushrooms? No. But do no. I think that mushrooms that are not age restricted are a, are, are a, a massive uh, risk to youngsters? Yeah, I do. Because what Matthew said about no one ever dying from psychedelics does not apply to the choices people have made once they were on too much psychedelics. And so I'd like to see some regulation so that we can have a regulated supply chain, ideally not as uh, foobard as regulated cannabis, so that adults like St. Germain and the people in his age bracket can enjoy the therapeutic benefits without having this be a street drug. And it really, mushrooms don't deserve to be a street drug. They deserve to be in more than chocolate bars and Dayglo packages. They should what be in a kettle in every church. In every church, huh? Oh, yeah, bro. If you Think about how many churches there are. If you had some psychedelic mentors and a big fat kettle of mushroom tea in every church, and you had a sanctuary law where you could come in and sit unmolested for a couple of hours, do some mushrooms, have somebody who could possibly give you a hug or a blanket or a cup of water, I think a lot more people would be getting their shit together, and we could replace this sexually suppressive, controlling, Abrahamic religious scheme we currently have with something that's more life-affirming, isn't a goddamn death cult, and actually teaches people about respect for nature and the joys of life. But again, I do a lot of mushrooms. The communion wafer with a little bit of fungi. Mm -hmm. The original communion wafer was a psychedelic mushroom. And that's a, a fact that the Catholic Church actually bought the rights to John Marco Allegro's book to try to suppress. But if you get out and get into it, there is a wealth of information 
on the fact that uh, all of our early religions were astrotheological psychedelic cults, and they were hijacked by people who want to keep you and me rest. Rico, I think you're on mute, buddy. Listen, one of my favorite things about this conversation every Monday morning is Saint Germain gives me some perspectives to consider. And I actually had never considered the whole church thing. But the second you said it, like this light bulb went off in my head. I know what you meant. No one's going to fucking do that. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I don't disagree with the idea. I hear what you're saying. And I feel like if it was an option, if it was something that more individuals in spiritual environments understood that it could help people get out of their head, right? And into their hearts, what's going on, right? And then become a more productive individual in their place of sanctuary. Thank you. I like it. I was just saying, I, we should bring it back to the old days, the good old days as uh, immortality <laughs> key points out, where uh, it was psilocybin, mm -hmm. uh, ergot, uh, DMT, and cannabis they mixed it in a pot and that's how mass originally went down and this is most likely why you have all these stories about jesus making the blind see and uh mm -hmm. walking on water and all of that stuff yeah. because uh church was wild back because people were just tripping balls is that blind. what you're saying yeah they were they absolutely that's... were and um and they have archaeological uh, proof of that now too and if, if you look at it when they talk about people being drunk in biblical times and stuff like that the most potent of wine back there was 2% alcohol. Go figure. They were so tripping was, balls. So was my guy, the rabbi in the old school, also doing that? Or was that just a New Testament thing? No, sir. There's actually a, a recipe for uh, cannabis-containing ointment. And the ointment, the priests, like uh, old school Judaism was fucking freaky, bro. The priests would get naked, rub themselves to he from head to toe with the anointing oil, and then they would go into the Holy of Holies to be transported to see God. That's straight up out of the Torah right there. And there's actually, there's a, there's a recipe, and it talks about cannabis, what they call cannabosin, mirror, frankincense, like all the highlights. And so you basically just get, and you just mirror this shit all over yourself, go into the temple, and you'll see God, and he tells you to get along with everyone. I think, I think we all need a little I, bit more I, I, of that. I, th I think, Matthew, at the next uh, Emerald Cup Judges Retreat, you're going to have to make some of this up, and I, we're going to have to try this out. Oh, shit, we're going for a full anointing, you guys. Yes. It is true that four out of five of the people on this high at nine news are Emerald Cup judges and 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 I'll start sculpting my body hair for such a set event. Three three of the five. Three of the five. You, you think it's just, you think it's just a coincidence that the only black, the only black guy here is not what's going on? What's going on? Oh, <laughs> oh boy, you guys. This racism is killing me. Mm -hmm. I just want to drop real quick. If you want more information, look at The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross by John Marco Allegro. Also look at a book, a book called The Mushroom in Early Christian Art. It's a book that shows over 400 color pictures of mosaics, frescoes, cups, plates, and other artwork by the proto-Christians. That's the pre-Catholic Christians. It depicts Jesus as a mushroom, Jesus surrounded by mushrooms, uh, Adam and Eve eating from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it's a mushroom growing mushrooms. And so there's an abundance of actual evidence that speaks to this that has been suppressed. Go out and find it. You don't have to do mushrooms. Mushrooms are not for everybody. You know what it is for everybody, though? Breathing in nature. Still yourself. Breathe in nature. 
You are that. That is you. Connect to this thing and and feel it. Feel that connection because if we feel the connection to nature, it's, it gets easier to look at our fellow human beings, realize A, their nature, B, they're our family. We can connect to them and we can help them. And I think the sooner we do that, the sooner we begin to right this ship of society that is foundering in the water right now. Grab somebody and hug them. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And on with that. consent, Rico, with consent. Also, you hallelujah. And and on that, we're going to move it right on in to Mr. Yaro Kubrin. He is a real estate guy. He also does a little bit of cannabis. And, of course, he is our very own California, Florida man who does cannabis and real estate. Alt in one. That's right. It is none other than the Yaro Kubrin. I, th- I think it's so funny that we keep weaving in that Florida thing over one verbal typo when Rico tried to introduce me and got Florida and Sebastopol you know, conflated. You, you, know, you know, when things stick, they stick. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll go with it. I like Florida. I like yeah. the manatees. I like the keys. We're all good. You like orange, good man. You like yeah, keys, Yeah, good morning. Huh? I, I, the Florida keys, okay. not the okay. key low. Okay, all so, right. So, good morning, Hyatt 9 News viewership. Thank you, and welcome to Monday morning. This is Yaro Kubrin. My article this morning, of course, has a real estate theme. And I will do my best to be like Rico and add my commentary as I read it and then turn it over to the rest of these incredibly insightful commentators. So without further ado, Cookie says LA marijuana store will close amid landlord spat. Prominent brand Cookie's retail marijuana store in Los Angeles plans to close November 7th. Co-founder and cannabis entrepreneur Burner has announced on social media. The closure would be at least the second to affect Cookie's branded outlets in 2023. A separately owned and managed location in Oklahoma City closed this spring. California-based Cookie's licensed its familiar light blue branding of proprietarily highly recognizable marijuana strains to separate businesses that hold state licenses around the U.S. and handle day-to-day operations under a franchise model. But the situation in West Los Angeles, where Cookie's Melrose landlord is asking for a hefty rent increase, according to people familiar with the situation, as well as a publicly available real estate listing, underscores how even the sector's biggest names are not immune to the cannabis industry's wider struggles. In a recent Instagram post, Berner said he dreaded this day and having to make this announcement. This one hurts, according to a post by the San Francisco Bay Area-based entrepreneur whose given name is Gerbert Milan Jr. Gilbert. Cookies tried our hardest, but we haven't been able to come to terms with our landlord, Berner continued, adding that a search for a new location is ongoing but might take some time. I want to thank my partners at Melrose for this opportunity and for fighting so hard to try and keep it. In a post, a follow-up post two days later, a Cookies corporate account said the store was relocating with a new address and opening date to be announced coming soon. Business records list Burner as Cookie's director. Parker Burling is the organization's CEO and president. Records show Cookie's Melrose is operated by a California company called Purple Heart Compassion, including the records from the State Department of Cannabis Control. The company's principles are... So after much evaluation, we made a tough call to focus on our retail efforts in other markets. So it goes on to say that TRP manages more than 20 cookies branded retail locations in other markets, including Florida, where I'm not from. It also says there are 67 cannabis outlets operating under the cookies brand world war- worldwide with additional plant openings planned in New Mexico and Maine. The Melrose outlet located in Western Los Angeles closed 
to West Hollywood and its strong tradition of legal cannabis might be one of Cookie's brand's most prominent physical presence. Cookies has a clothing store in Manhattan and New York and marijuana shops in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, San Francisco. But the LA one is considered one of the country's largest legal markets. The Melrose store opened to enormous crowds and huge lines that drew the ire of neighbors. It was also vandalized and robbed during the spring 2020 protests of George Floyd's murder. After enjoying a high-flying run of success, Cookies has run into some legal troubles this year during the marijuana industry's overall downturn. You know, there's some suits, blah, 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 blah. Sometime earlier this year, Cookie's landlord at the Melrose Avenue location listed the roughly 3,300-square-foot location for lease. The asking price is $7 a square foot with an opening date of September 1st. Real estate agents connected with the listing did not return comment to MJ Biz seeking comment. So let me kick off my commentary real quick and then hand it over to you, esteemed commentators. So real estate is at its core primarily an underpinning to legal cannabis. And when they say that the landlord wants $7 a square foot, let me be a little spicy in this. First of all, I love cookies, burner. We both grew up in the sunset in San Francisco. I got mad love for the fact that they validated that cannabis merch music triumvirate in a way that everybody wants to. Some are trying. They're doing a really, really good job of that. They also have great roots in Mendocino and Humboldt. So I'm not mad at the company at all. And they've had some great practitioners on their team when it comes to real estate and dispensary development from Brian Nash to Johnny Delaplane. I got nothing but love for the brand. But here's the truth. If you get to a place as a tenant where your landlord can charge you $7 a square foot and you have to move your business, it means you fucked up, okay? You fucked up because a lease is a bundle of real estate interests. A lease stays with the property even if the property is sold and your landlord changes, which means that them as tenants went into this and built in a ticking time bomb for them or a rental increase that they could have avoided had they done a better or more aggressive job negotiating the terms to allow them for renewal options with moderate stepped up increases to the rents. So this was something that was baked into the deal that they did before they took possession. And maybe they made a choice to take that risk on and hope that it would work out. But I would say, don't ever take that risk on when you're a tenant. Don't ever have a lease where you're that vulnerable to the landlord raising the rents in a way that doesn't feel like it's an equitable and sustainable business outcome. And so I'm sad for them because I know it's a great store. I know a lot of customers enjoy it. I know that Burner and Cookies in general has had a lot of Proud response, fan favorites, everybody loves it. Even my teeny little kid wants a cookie sweater. Burner, I'll give you my mailing address later. But the lease, somebody fucked up or decided to take a risk that now, with hindsight being 2020, didn't make any sense. And I feel sad and bad for that because at the end of the day, real estate is a critical component to cannabis businesses. And somebody gambled with this location and to the detriment of the brand and to the detriment of the customers. This is Yarrow Kubrin, high at nine news Monday morning. Man. If you ever smoked weed in a cookies bag, it's not to the detriment of the customers. And I and I will say this: I I have uh you know because that's in the neighborhood. I have seen a for 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 lease sign on that space for about at least the last couple months. Which means that the landlord is marketing it prior to that tenant vacating. But that's the other bad thing. Marijuana News, wherever I read this link off of, said that they reached out to the listing team and the team never got back to them. You're a bad real estate team if you don't get back to incoming leads. Shame on you. You got to do better than that. (laughs) Maybe they don't need the money. It's rough on Melrose. You got to sell like $800 t-shirts to pay rent there. 
A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, but this store has had a lot of scrutiny. So I know the neighborhoods are going to be super, super excited about this store uh, closing down because there was even a letter um, that that store is in Los Angeles. And uh, I know the city, the city manager and city attorney of West Hollywood at one point in time sent a letter to to L.A. uh, requesting that the store get closed down because it was such a public nuisance. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too, that I've, I've heard just complaint after complaint. The neighborhood isn't happy with the store. Law enforcement has had a lot of reports with that store. It's just unfortunate. Um, and, and yet it's L.A., right? When mm-hmm. you're a dispensary owner, that's like the spot to be. So and but I wonder have other options all over the world. You know what I really wonder? And in and, and all this is when they actually do close, who's going to take their spot on weed maps? Because they have the number one listing in that little little pocket right there. Who's got the next deepest pocket? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We shall see. We 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 shall. We're going to see. Yes. You got a quick you got a quick. I, 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 I have a quick I have a quickie for you guys. Adam, are you ready with this video? So I have a super quick, super quickie. Presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr., an independent for the 2024 presidential candidate, says the U.S. needs to legalize pot to end addiction. And he came out with a campaign ad to show it. And I think better than reading the story, I think we're just going to show you this video. But I'm going to read just a little bit into it. Um, In a campaign ad that pulls clips from a September C-SPAN interview, Kennedy describes his plan to federally legalize marijuana and embark or, or earmark tax revenue for substance misuse treatment and rehabilitation. The candidate who launched his campaign as a Democrat before switching to independent last month said he wants to build that infrastructure as part of my presidency, adding that the renewal centers of detoxification will help address the rise of mental illness and PTSD and drug addiction that is dehabilitating our children. And I think we have it queued up. Are you ready, Adam? All right, here we go. Is that we should legalize marijuana. We should have a federal tax on the marijuana that is designated specifically for drug treatment and rehabilitation. And I want to build as part of my presidency um, a series of renewal centers, of detoxification essentially centers around this country to treat the rise in mental illness and PTSD and drug addiction that is debilitating our children. We lost 106,000 kids last year to overdoses in the opioid overdoses that is double the number of kids that we lost during the 20-year vietnam war um we need to start healing our country in, in many ways i think the best solution is to legalize it make it possible for the cannabis distributors to actually uh, bank their profits and their revenues and not force them to keep them in mattresses which encourages more crime and then tax it robustly so that we can pay for these, uh, you know, for the addiction treatment for our children. If you like this video and you want to learn more about me and the movement that we're building, please go to Kennedy24.com. What do you guys think about this? I think, I think the best thing about right. Robert Kennedy is his wife, Cheryl Hines, who is a comedic genius. Her material is funnier than his platform for running for president. I think he is super sus in all directions, and except for the last name, he wouldn't even have his 15 minutes of fame. 
I'm going to have to wholeheartedly disagree. If you listen to everything the man says, it makes sense. Everything he just said in that ad made sense. Legalized cannabis. Uh, in treatment centers for people with PTSD. Use the taxes for cannabis to make our country better. He wants to close the military bases overseas. He wants to get corporations out of politics. There's two, there's two, there's two things going. There's two streams on Robert Kennedy. There's what the mainstream news, both liberal and conservative, is saying about him, and there's what the man is saying out of his own mouth. And I'll say, I think a lot of his scientific views are a little fucking wacko, but the guy is an actual human being. And currently, he's at 22% to Biden's, I think, 39 and Trump's 36%. And so he's actually polling huge. And if anybody here is interested in getting away from the political machines of the left and the right, the constant bickering, and looking for a new path, I would say consider Robert F. Kennedy and, and Yarrow. I would say this to you, too. Let's talk about the things that the man is actually saying instead of instead of our ideas about him or things that are being said in the mainstream news. Do you, who here agrees with shutting down the majority of military bases overseas and using that money to improve our own country? I, I, there's I, a lot of there's, there's a lot of great things. I know we're at we're, we're at overtime right now. I got to hop oh. too, but um, um, there's a lot of good things that he says, and um, I really like his humility to actually when he's proven wrong, he apologizes and retracts what he says. That's mm-hmm. something you don't really see out of a lot of. Um, uh, a, a lot of politicians. So, I, the only part that I didn't like about it is he said a robust tax rate, and that just sounds to me like they're going to try to overtax it. But other than that, I thought it was a fantastic uh, thing, and I'm going to reach out to their campaign, let them know they need to work on that language because robust is not the word, at least for cannabis. Oh, yeah. But I understand it is for everybody else. It's oh, replicating yeah. the burdensome tax structure we have at a state level, which gives constituents outside of regulated cannabis massive dollars, which creates massive resistance against tax reform. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we are at the top of the hour, everybody. Thank you all for joining us for yet another episode of High Nine News. You can catch us live weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific, High Noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to the super fans showing love, getting their comments posted live on the big screen and live audience and online supporters catching us across all media platforms, tuning in each day to the headlines of chaos. To our vetted correspondent team, tuning in from all over, bringing us much needed variety of perspective. We got everybody from Sebastopol, uh, California, all the way down to Sarasota, Florida. Welcome, everybody. To our production team, cloud media partners and uh all of our sponsors keeping the lights on and usually our av struggles to a minimum and always the cannabis sativa l the reason the high at nine news team reads these headlines every single day thank you it has been monday november 6 2023 shows over you've all been blessed with top industry headlines hope was enough for you to put in your pipe and smoke at least until tomorrow mandy tingler the mom with the most what you got for us bring us out You're on mute, Mandy. You're on mute. You're on mute. We can't hear you. All right. There we go. If you are a women-owned brand and you are creating products in the California market, visit the Women's Canada Awards and get your products submitted before the 30th of this month for the competition. Get it. The Women's Canada Awards.